0: Welcome to La Cura Podcast. I'm your host, Francisca Porchas Coronado. La Cura will take you on a journey at the intersection of health, healing, and social justice. We will engage in conversations about decolonizing our health and reclaiming traditional ways of well-being and healing. We will explore and honor our multiple identities, cultures, traditions, and remedios. This offering is brought to you by Mi Gente, a political home of Latinx and Chicanx people that is pro-Black, pro-woman, pro-poor, pro-queer, because our communities are all that and more. Today, I'm excited to say that uh, we are joined by Kiani Conley-Wilson, and uh, Kiani is part of the Soul Fire Farm family. Uh, Before I tell you more about Kiani, I want to tell you a bit more about the Soul Fire Farm, Uh, and then Kiani will tell us a whole bunch more, which I'm excited to to share with y'all. The Soul Fire Farm is an Afro-Indigenous-centered community farm committed to uprooting racism, seeding sovereignty in the food system, and it raises and distributes life-giving food as a means to end food apartheid with a deep reverence for the land and the wisdom of the ancestors. And it works to reclaim um, collective right to belong to the earth and to have agency in the food system. And it does that and a whole lot more, uh, which we're going to talk about today. And so uh, we do have Keanu Conley-Wilson with us. Uh, A bit more about Kiani is they are an assistant program manager at the farm. She is a grower, activist, and organizer based in Troy, New York, and is very passionate about environmental justice, anti-racist, pro-feminist organizing, and the power of food across cultures, economies, and environments. Currently, she organizes with local organizations to develop people-centered systems and spaces. And during her time um, doing uh, sustainability studies, she discovered that her passion for food systems and growing plants, organizations, and movements. With the School for Field Studies, uh, she conducted research on ecotourism, biology, food, and culture in Panama and Costa Rica. And after graduating, she expanded on her knowledge of growing with the Urban Farming Institute of Boston community at Community Gardens and Seoul Fire Farms, BIPOC, Immersion. Uh, and these experiences led her to start the Common Greens Garden in North Central Troy. So welcome, Kiani.
1: Yes, thank you. It's so good to be here.
0: Uh, so I wanted to, to ask you so many things about the farm. Um, <laughs> but, I thought we'd start with uh you just telling me more about how it came about. I know it's a it's a beautiful story and it's also grown to be this just really expansive uh project uh that reaches in all out in all kinds of ways uh and it's also very deep deeply rooted uh so yeah, how did it come about
1: yeah um so Uh Leah and Jonah, uh who are the two co-founders of Soulfire, were living in the south end of Albany and they were having a really hard time getting access to fresh food. Um they had to walk about like a mile each direction to get their to pick up their CSA um because there was no um fresh food really in their neighborhood. Um and they had two kids and they both worked full time and all of that. Um they were still like struggling to get fresh food. Um And so they talked to their neighbors and their neighbors were having the same kind of issue. Um, And their neighbors just found out that Leah and Jonah are are farmers, like they know how to grow food. And immediately they were like, oh, you guys have the skill. You need to use it like with the community and really encourage them to uh, get get some land and really provide um, food for the community. And so... um, They ended up getting, I think, purchasing the land in 2006. And the land actually used to be uh, logging land. So they used it to cut down trees and all that. Um, And the soil was like really like clay like it really like you could roll it up and all that. Um, And so with a lot of different restorative practices, we got the land to kind of um, be more of like a growing space. And um, I think in 2010 was when the uh, farm officially launched. So we just celebrated our 10 year. Um, this past wow. year.
0: congratulations. Well, land is, is I, I know it's not easy to get, so I'm just like, it feels like it must have been quite a project to figure out how to acquire it. Uh, I'm just totally curious about what that looked like.
1: I don't personally know about uh, how the farm was really purchased, but I can a little bit about my experience purchasing land in the urban environment with with um, common greens garden my situation I think is like a little bit like unique because uh, Troy has a lot of property that is not um, owned by any anyone it's a lot of foreclosed property so um, every I think it's about every quarter they have a list of foreclosed properties that folks can purchase and bid on um, to the city and I um, kind of was looking to start my own garden. And, uh, one of my friends really encouraged me to like, look at the foreclosed property and, and get a piece of land from there. Um, and it was a pretty straightforward process. Um, just a pretty basic application asking like, what are you doing with the land? What do you plan on doing? Um, are you going to build anything? Um, and I had a couple of my previous professors write some letters of recommendation, um, just saying, like, yeah, like County will use it for a garden and really uh, follow through on that. And um, the city ended up approving, or city council uh, voted to approve um, my application. So that was like really exciting. Um, and you can kind of bid however you want. I bid about $500 and A friend of mine who also owns a garden was like, yeah, you you kind of overbid on that, to be honest. So um, it can be really affordable. Uh, The most expensive part of it was really paying um, these taxes and fees and county fees and all that, uh, which is about like $700.
0: And there are so many people out there who have no idea that this is even possible.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I was just talking recently um, this past season to one of my neighbor's at the garden and um he was kind of asking me like oh like how did you get this land and I was like oh it's foreclosed property list. like you should totally look into it and buy something from there Mm -hmm. um so it's definitely something that a lot of folks I feel like don't know about
0: yeah definitely a, a project I think for whoever is out there who wants to inform more community about how they can actually work land and acquire it more of our people just need to be able to do that Um, The heart of your work uh, at the farm and the farm's work is building what you called regenerative farming. And I'm just really curious how you would describe that. I know I read a little bit about how it's essentially the concept of um, feeding the world without undermining its ecology, right? So that makes a lot of sense. We should be able to do pretty much everything without undermining the world's ecology. But we don't, obviously, as a society. And so I'm just curious what regenerative farming um, actually means and looks like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, another thing that we do is like we really honor the land. Um, I know Leah has a lot of different practices that um, she uses to kind of connect to the land and communicate with the land. And um, we actually like try and get cons- or we actually do get consent from the land anytime we try and make any changes Um to the farm like i remember um hearing the story about how the pond came into existence and um Leah had been like praying and asking the land can we build build a pond here and for years the land was like no 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 and then one year the land was like yeah like it's time to to, to do that so we kind of have like really um i think unique practices at the farm and i also think a part of it is not only just like caring for the environment but also caring for our like heritage Um, a lot of our practices come from like black agrarians like um, composting was something that Cleopatra did Um, you know having like rotating crops and all that Um, George Washington Carver was really into and the Umbabu people um, of Africa were um, building raised beds um, you know centuries ago so it's also like I don't know I really admire how it's all connected and all
0: Mhm right there's like a long legacy of uh black people of the world <laughs> um doing regenerative farming absolutely and a lot of lessons that could be drawn for that and I think what you're saying also is it has everything to do with um being connected to the soil beyond just the f- the f- the the soil as we see it, but mm-hmm. actually yep. being in com- in um relationship in a spiritual way. Um, and knowing that it has agency, agency as well. And it's not just us, uh, having power over, but that it has agency and it has spirit and it could also give consent or deny it. Right.
1: Absolutely. And like, you know, the soil, like there's all these microbes living in it. So it's also kind of alive too. It's, you don't really think about it, um, but those microbes really help, um, support plants and all that. So those are really important to keep alive. What are the
0: crops? I know it's obviously by season. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what level are you all farming? Um, how many acres are we talking about?
1: Yeah. So the farm sits on about 80 acres of land, but we really only use about three acres of land. um, that's been, like, developed. Um, So there's about, like, one acre that's kind of, like, our housing and our buildings and all of that. Um, Another acre that we're using um, now for, like, farm animals, which is really exciting. We have, like, pigs, uh, chickens, guinea hens, ducks. I'm trying to think. We we have basically everything. I think I'm trying to remember if our website has all of them. Um, But, yeah, we have a whole bunch of animals and honeybees as well. And then there's um, another field that's um, just crops. So we grow like, you know, like collards, carrots, potatoes, squash, a lot of like medicinal herbs as well. Um, Some fruit like um, raspberries, strawberries. uh, And we have some orchards as well. Um, I know for a fact that we have apples.
0: So what happens to all those crops in the season when you all are able to harvest?
1: in this past year in 2020, we um, had a solidarity share. Um, So all of that, the things that we grew essentially uh, were sent out to the community in Troy and Albany and a couple of our community partners um, who um, distribute it um, to their constituents. Um, And, you know, in in a typical season we will have programming. So some of that food um, that's grown is actually used Um, for our week-long immersion programs or our day-long youth programs, things like that. Uh, But this year, we didn't really have many people on the farm. So uh, we kind of pivoted and kind of focused more towards providing um, more food for our community.
0: Farm has obviously always been about uprooting racism in the food system and also healing racial trauma. So I'm curious uh what that looks like for you all in the practice.
1: Yeah, I think um a lot of it is also like just um so we have like uprooting racism trainings um that are about like three hours, I think, on Zoom. Um, now they used to be in-person, but we uh, can't do in-person things. But um, a big part of like that training is just like understanding the history. And the like historical trauma and all the things that kind of made the, the world that we live in today um, so I feel like that's also part of the healing process just understanding the, the narrative the story what really happened um, and then the second part of it is just kind of like committing to dismantling racism wherever you see it whether it's in the organization or like your peers or whatever it is um, and that might look like you know um, if you're like an organization that has a lot of money like, distributing funds to BIPOC organizations or um, people that are really committed to reparations or dismantling racism. Um, if you're like a nonprofit, that's like uplifting voices, making sure that you're not just, you know, putting like black, indigenous, other folks of color on your website and not actually supporting them. Um, so really just looking at like, what, what is your commitment to dismantling or questioning um the systems that are in place that are, are being oppressive.
0: How has that been for you? Where like, has that as part of your journey in working with the farm, uh, the piece around racial healing?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, I feel like I kind of started healing um, kind of before I even like knew the farm existed, like uh, being a black person in America is difficult. Um And, you know, when I got to college, I kind of realized, like, oh, there was a lot of things that was happening in my high school that was, like, really racist and not okay. Um, And kind of just looking at that and, I don't know, examining it. And also, like, I don't know, I work with a lot of, like, white people in uh, my organizing. So it's not, like, not seeing it as, like, white people are inherently bad, but, you know, it's some white people are capable of doing pretty bad things and um and I, I, I feel like I've really focused on building solidarity with folks and like understanding where they're coming from and um trying to grow and develop together um so I feel like that's been part of it's just like figuring out ways to work together and then I don't know I feel like on an individual basis just kind of Recognizing my own personal trauma and like systematic trauma and trying to find ways to navigate it and support systems that um, help me feel seen and heard and all of that
0: when I think of your work, I imagine these like concentric circles you're very much rooted in the land in the spirit of the land in the the aliveness of it all uh, as as you are laying out all the things that live in it that are very alive um. And then also the community surrounding the farm and the leadership that you're building. Um, You are a perfect example of that. And then the next circle, I guess, would be some of the regional work. Uh, And then you all do also national work. So I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit more maybe about what the regional work and some of that national work looks like. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it's so funny that you, uh, like, talk about these concentric circles because um in this past year uh jonah has built uh, a classroom and part of that classroom has been like a vision of his for a long time of like a reciprocal roof so essentially each of the steps of the roof are connected to the previous ones um it's really cool looking i can send you over a picture um but that's kind of like what i think about um when i think about how these these things are all connected and building upon each other um but yeah, in, on a regional sense, like we're doing a lot of work, uh, with building out like an ecosystem, um, for, um, New York state in terms of like black farmers. Um, we, we're working with the New York state commissioner of ag and a whole bunch of other, um, folks who, um, not just our organization, but plenty of others like, um, black farmer funds, um, black farmers United, um, Blanking on some more, but there's a whole bunch more um, that are involved, and really trying to um, develop a programs and programs that actually address some of the inequalities that we've been facing um, as Black farmers, um, some of the resources that we aren't able to access, and uh, really being deliberate about how um, those programs might look and how to actually address. Um, kind of injustices to be frank. Um and then nationally with things, uh we recently uh helped uh with a whole bunch of other organizations with this uh Justice for Black Farmers um act, which uh Booker and Warren, those two senators, um and Gillibrand really um kind of have been pushing for that. Um, I'm not as like connected to this national work, um, but it's really about uh, trying to address um, these uh, the historical um, injustices for black farmers and giving land back to black farmers, essentially.
0: I know these are some of like the goals that are definitely long-term that the farm has and 10 years is such an amazing accomplishment And the work that you all have done, I know you also have a fellowship or you're training more um, Black, Indigenous, people of color to farm and uh, to have connection, a spiritual connection with the land as well. But I'm curious about um, what your sort of broader vision is um, beyond some of these strategic goals, which are really important and critical and are a long-term piece of work we are going back to the climate crisis um, conversation. We know that the the world is going through some really big shifts and that it, in the next 30 to 50 years, it will look very different. I mean, it could look very different next year, just like this past year looked. Um, but I'm just curious, like, what you all envision um, in, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years and from more of a perspective on not the disaster, but like what you hope is built.
1: I'm really hoping that it looks almost similar to how folks have responded to COVID. And, you know, I, I've seen so much like community support and folks coming together. Um, some of like accomplishments that I've been able to do with the support of other folks. Um, like with So far in the City, we built like four day raised beds um, for folks suffering under food apartheid in Troy, Albany and Schenectady areas, um, this past season. And, um, yeah, I think it just, I don't know. I, I hope to see like Soulfire not being the only kind of farm that's doing this kind of work, which we're, we're not the only farm, but like, um, having more Soulfire farm like organizations popping up that are focused more on building community and, um, um being mindful about the environment and having a relationship with the land as opposed to um, kind of this extractive kind of um, model that we see in a lot of different nonprofits and organizations and businesses. Um, so, I'm really hoping to see more of that. And I, I'm also like hoping, and I feel like this kind of ties into it, like more like holistic learning styles and teachings um, that's not just like. Separating out all these topics, but like seeing how they're all interconnected and how they relate to one another.
0: Thank you to Keani Conley Wilson of Soulfire Farm. You can learn more about Soulfire Farm at soulfirefarm.org and you can find them on social media at Soul Fire Farm. For this week's Mystica e Medicina, I'm inviting you to join me for a body-based practice. As you all know, colonization brought us a whole new framework of making the brain, thinking brain, the cognitive, logical, rational part of us, the dominant part of our body, made it king, as opposed to many of our indigenous traditions, philosophy around body-based practices, body-based wisdom and knowledge. And so... I want to invite us to drop into our bodies to fully incorporate our sensations in our bodies, which for many of us isn't a practice, isn't necessarily something that we tend to do often because we haven't been taught, because that's just not the way society is sort of structured. If anything, we try to run away (laughs) from whatever our body may be feeling, uh, we tend to shut down pain or shut down whatever that might be so that we can allow the brain to, to move and to do its thing. At least that's what we think we're doing. I learned recently that 80% of the information that leads to motor action, essentially, and us making moves physically um, and also decisions and all that stuff comes from our bodies, 80%. It travels to the brain and then the brain processes that and sends 20% of that information back in order for us to physically move. And so if we think about it, our body holds an incredible amount of wisdom in its tissues, in its sensations, in in all of its workings. And as a society, we could be structured very differently and move very differently and relate very differently, not only to ourselves, but to each other. So today I wanna invite you to stay in your seat if that feels more comfortable or possible. As long as you're somewhere sitting where there is some support for your back, make sure your feet are on the ground or stand. And um, if you it's possible to stand, stand. And as long as you are um, standing, you know, very grounded, feet are on the ground, I'm going to invite you to just, with the back of your hand, with your fingers, tap. So I'm going to invite you to start with your right side, and um, with your right and/or left hands, or both, tap with your fingers. Um, it could be your full finger, not just your tip, the tips of your fingers, but your full fingers. And you can sort of move your fingers a bit around as you do this. Tap on the front. Of your foot. Get your toes. If you're barefoot, if you're wearing a shoe, it's okay ideally when you be barefoot so you can actually feel the tapping. Tap on the side of your feet, your ankles, if possible, tap the back of your feet. And just continue to to tap and move up. You know, as you reach your shins or your shin on the red side. And then just keep moving up and then go to the back of your leg. Tap the back of your leg, move up to your knee, tap your knee, move up to your thigh, and just tap it all sort of around. And then tap your hamstrings. In the back of your your thighs back of your knee all the way up to tapping your butt (laughs) or your right cheek your thigh your hip and move up to your your right side of your torso and slowly and gently to the front to your lower abdomen your belly button, all the way up to where is the diaphragm, it's the diaphragm starts, and then move back, tap your back as much as you can, if possible, and if not, if it doesn't feel comfortable, don't obviously do it, it's okay, and then come back to your chest, just all around your chest mostly obviously the right side, your shoulder. Now with your left hand, take your left hand and um, tap your arm all around the front, the back, even your elbow, your forearm, even your hand, just continue to tap. Let's come back to your shoulder, your neck and just begin to also tap the right side of your face, your cheek, your eye, your head, in the back of your head, your neck. And just keep tapping until you make it all the way to the top of your head, the right side obviously, your ear, all of that. Now let's take a Pause. just allow your hands to drop to the side and feel for what that that feels like what are the sensations in your body right now is there aliveness coming through is there tingling is there energy in different parts of your body that you might have not felt before or that are particularly active or calling for attention in this moment. And so you just allow yourself to notice without influencing it, without intervening, without, you know, making a judgment about it. Now I'm going to invite us to move over to the left side. And start the same. This time, let's start with the top of our head. Start tapping on the top of your head. Same, back of your fingers. You can start with your left hand if that feels the most comfortable it does for me. Now continue to your face, your eyes. The left side of your nose, your cheek, even your mouth, your ear, the back of your head. Just tap, tap, tap. The back of your neck, your shoulder. Let's move to the front your chest. The left side of your chest. Collarbone, too. If it feels more comfortable, you can use your right hand on your shoulder, whatever part of your back feels possible to tap on, or comfortable, and if not it's okay. Just move on, move down to your belly, right below the diaphragm. Tap on your tummy, the back, your back, your lower back, is possible to touch the side of your torso. Take your right hand and also tap on your hand, the back of your hand, your wrist, your forearm, your arm, your bicep. Just keep moving, yeah? So let's now go back to the tummy, side of the torso, Your hip, your thigh, the front part of your thigh, you can move to the back. You can move to the knee and the back of your knee and tap. Move down to your leg, all the way down to your ankle, the front of your foot, your toes. And if possible, you can tap on the bottom of your feet. I just invite you to come up and just sit there or stand. Just allow for those sensations. Now might be that there's a lot of energy moving through your right side still. And now there's a lifeness and energy moving through your left side. Tingling, perhaps, or um, is there quality to the sensations that you're feeling? Is there a color you see? Is there temperature? Is there a particular warmth in a particular place in your body? Your coolness. I feel very warm. Actually, I feel much warmer than when we started. Just pay attention to any sensations that might be showing up for you. And just whenever you're ready, I invite you to come back into the space that you're in. And I hope this practice was helpful and that you are encouraged to practice at any time. La Cura is a donor supported free resource to continue our work and ensure we launch another season and many more after that, we are raising $5,000 by May 25th. I know we can do it together. Can you pitch in and make sure we continue our journey at the intersections of health, healing, and collective transformation. Thank you in advance for your support. We'll send you virtual offerings in our donors-only newsletter to support your journey in your communities. Join me at mi gente.net forward slash la cura. Thank you for listening to La Cura Podcast. The podcast is hosted and produced by me, edited by Lourdes Hernandez. A very special thanks to Phil Circus for all his support and guidance on all aspects of production of this new season for La Cura. Thank you, Phil.